beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we start this morning with a spoiler alert. This is the first time that you read about Joseph being sold as a slave in Egypt, and you still don't know how it turns out. Plug your ears for the next sentence, and then later you can read about it in the later chapters of Genesis. The conclusion is found in Genesis 45, verse 5, and Genesis 50, verse 13. It explains to us that the main purpose of Genesis 37 to 50 is that God permitted all these terrible things to happen to Joseph, and that God even used the sinful actions of Joseph's brothers in order to save the church from destruction. That conclusion is so dominant that it could be the theme of every sermon from now until the end of the book. It colors everything. And so we ask, well, why don't we just skip right to the conclusion? What would we miss learning about God's truth and His Son, Jesus Christ, if we just jumped ahead to the conclusion, well, if we didn't spend time listening to God's word about the sale of Joseph, that horrible act, shameful thing that happened in the history of the church, we would miss God's revelation about our sinfulness that we'll look at in the first point. We'll miss out that he understands our suffering, as we'll see in the second point. And we'll miss that even though we may not know the purpose of our suffering, God is always with us. When we think of the sale of Joseph, we, we think of, of three questions that arise in our minds many times when, when something ugly is there in front of us, something that happened that we're ashamed of, something we've done to hurt somebody. The sale of Joseph reveals how much we need Jesus our suffering Savior. And it brings to mind these three questions that arise in our trials. What have we done? Why must we suffer? Where is God? We just read Genesis 37, and you could note that there was a lot of wicked things happening. And you can also remember that all these wicked things were being done by covenant children in the church of the living God. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they did not want to submit to God's plan revealed through Joseph's dreams. Israel's sons mocked Joseph as, as that dreamer, Mr. Dreamer, even. It's the Lord of the dreams. And they made it their goal to try and make it impossible for the dreams to come true. You see, although your unbelieving neighbor might be fooled into thinking that your church attendance makes you a less sinful person, Genesis 37, 12 to 36 is the news bulletin that tells you that God knows more. God knows that even people who go to church on Sundays have sinful desires. 
In Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, Jesus tells us that if you have ever been angry at someone, insulted or mocked them, the root desires of your heart are just as stained and sinful as that of Joseph's brothers. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, in Shechem and in Dothan, in Canada, and yes, Mexico, south of the equator as well, in your living room and in your locked inner room. God could see the brothers, the church members, slaughtering a goat, dipping Joseph's fancy robe in it, as they consoled their older brother Reuben by telling him their father Jacob will never know what happened. He sees the sin that you commit, even though you may try to cover it up. And so as Genesis 37 verses 12 to 36 directs our thoughts to all that the brothers had done, we are stunned to see how predictable and common, their sins continue to be among God's people, among you and I. It's a light that shines in our lives, and the unfolding revelation of God, He also unfolds and shows what sin is like, what the fall into sin is like. You see, we can understand that the brothers felt that they had more freedom to sin in Dotham where no one expected them to be, because we also experience that increased pull of sin when we are in unmonitored situations, when we're away from home or maybe in a hotel room for the night or down south of the equator or away from our family or in a place where we don't expect any church members to be. We can understand the how the pressure from the peers, the brothers, drove the brothers to commit a, a crime that no one wanted to do on their own. For we also have been swept along by the crowds to do things we would feel uncomfortable doing by ourselves. We don't judge Reuben for his cowardly and his pathetic attempt to save Joseph. We don't judge because we know ourselves well enough. We have experienced the similar fear of the opinions of others. We were scared to stand up for another member of Christ's church and how much more when we didn't even really like them. Sadly, we can understand the brothers' angry reaction to God's revelation in Joseph's dreams. Because we also often want to fight against God's plans for our lives when they are different than what we were expecting. We're ashamed to admit that reading through this passage in, in Genesis 37, we were just as fooled by Reuben's suggestion as his brothers were. When, when we thought it would be better if Joseph starved to death, in a dry pit, rather than be slaughtered for the simple selfish reason that killing him with our own hands would make it more difficult for us to sit down and eat our lunch with clean hands. 
Judah's greed, Judah's willingness to sell his own brother for profit to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, which are probably the national and regional titles given to the same people. His greed and his willingness to sell his brother they, reminds us of how quickly we justify oppression and the slave labor that is still happening today and maybe not in our country but in many countries in the world and how we justify that oppression and slave labor when we go shopping for a deal or when we try to increase the profit of our own businesses. When we look at this chapter, we realize that had we been in the same situation as they were, we may not have done anything different than the sons of Jacob. And as if we were standing beside Reuben, looking into that empty pit where Joseph was supposed to be, things went wrong, the, the deed was done, we ask, what have we done? What have we done? Thinking of the, the hurt our sins have caused to our brothers and our sisters. Thinking of the divisions that our stubbornness and our rebellion have created in the body of Christ. Thinking of the sadness of our the sins that we have caused for our spiritual fathers and, and our leaders. We can only repeat that question that Reuben asked, and I, where shall I go? Verse 30. Brothers and sisters, whenever this question and this desire comes into your mind, pay close attention. Because God uses that question to tell you where to go. He tells you to go to Jesus Christ. Such a question comes from those who recognize the horror of their sins. They recognize what they have done. A question that comes from those who are ready to repent. Ready to seek their salvation in the Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, your brokenness is a blessing for it shows you how much you need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It reminds you that you cannot do it in your own strength. And the Lord had promised the Savior to Reuben through his father Jacob and his descendants, particularly through the line of Judah. The Savior was there. As disappointed as we may be in the brothers and even in our own sins and sinful desires, we must not lose sight of the fact that God the Father did not write those brothers off as finished. He didn't say they don't stand a chance. The fact is that even while they were rebelling against him, the Lord was preparing these ten sinful brothers to form the foundation of the nation from whom Jesus Christ would come. What kind of God do we have that is so kind and so gracious 
that he would want to save such rebellious and disobedient creatures. And yet, that is who our God is. Should we not go to him even in our moments of shame and guilt? The sad thing is that when the light of the gospel comes to us as a hope and as a help in our moments of deepest shame, when we're looking in that pit and when we're thinking, oh, what am I to do? Well, that light also exposes our ugly sins. And do you know what your sinful nature wants to do when it sees what it really looks like? It wants to push that light away. Look at how Reuben and his brothers reacted when they realized what they had done. Rather than repent, they tried to find relief from their guilt by trying to cover over their sins, by having that coat dipped in blood sent back to Jacob, their father, with a question. Confronted with their sins, they decided that it would be better to separate themselves from Jacob, from the church, where God was working his salvation through humility. Like so many who withdraw themselves from membership rather than learn through church discipline. It was the worst thing that the brothers could do when they were faced with their guilt. It was like the workers in the vineyard in Jesus' parable who killed the son who could save them. The more you cover over your sins rather than confess them before the Lord, before those you sinned against, the harder it is to see Jesus Christ, to, to see your need for Jesus Christ, to seek Jesus Christ, to find comfort in the gospel and not in yourself. But thanks be to God, this is not the end of the Bible. This is not the end of his message for us. You see, God's purpose cannot be thwarted by our sinfulness and weakness and our failure. The resounding theme of the last chapters of Genesis is that resistance to the will and the good plan of God is futile. If you look in Genesis 15, verse 13, you'll read that God told Abraham that his people would spend time in a foreign land and God would carry out that plan. The brothers could try as they might to stop the dreams from coming true, but this could never cause the sovereign God to be untrue to his love and his word. Recognizing this, we also may we also be very quick, brothers and sisters, to confess our sins before the sovereign God, to repent before him daily, to throw ourselves on his mercy and on his grace so that his love might transform our hearts and our minds as we face the trials that come from following Jesus Christ. Because there come trials, trials come in our lives, we ask, right, we see, why must we suffer? Look at the very end of 
Genesis 37, it ends with, with chilling words. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. We're shocked. We're shocked to see how the brothers could repay Jacob and Joseph for showing concern for the brothers who lived some 85 kilometers away, were farming there, and they were farming in the exact location where Simeon and Levi had killed so many men to avenge their sister Dinah. It's a dangerous place to live. Jacob and Joseph went there to see. Jacob sent Joseph to go see. And whether the man that found Joseph wandering in the fields by Shechem in verse 15, you read about that, whether he was actually an angel sent by God, as some of the older Jewish commentators suggest, or not, the whole incident, those early verses, show us that Joseph was willing to go beyond the call of the duty for his brothers. But now, look where the chapter ends. After being attacked by his brothers, stripped of his fancy robe, after spending time in an empty pit, after feeling that sense of hope as he was pulled out of the pit, but then having that hope crushed, to find out he was actually being sold to slave traders for 20 shekels of silver. And then after walking alongside foreigners and their camels on the long trip to Egypt, Joseph was actually being sold to an Egyptian officer. And the Holy Spirit describes it in such detail that we can understand what that would be like for Joseph. And imagine the suffering. There are many details in Joseph's trials that made his suffering especially difficult. And as we look at those details, we recognize that in our own suffering and our own trials as well, the suddenness of the change in Joseph's life. It started the morning, the day started so well when he went out to find his brothers. He ended off being sold in Egypt. It happened so suddenly reminds us of how much harder it can be to deal with trials when we are shocked by them. We feel for Joseph also when we realize that he didn't ask for the dreams that God sent that made his brothers so jealous. We recognize that it can be much harder to find peace in our trials when we are suffering for things that just happened to us that we never asked for. They're not a result of our bad decisions. It's also especially painful when we face trials because of the sins that are being committed by people in the church against us, people who should know better. Just like Joseph who suffered at the hands of his brothers who were breaking the commands of God in their insolence we also know what it is like when members of God's church sin and do things that harm us. Husbands and wives. Husbands and wives with addictions to alcohol, to pornography, to work. Selfish, demanding 
spouses who go to church with us every Sunday, or parents, bullying in the school. These are Christian kids hurting one another. Oh, it hurts. Unkind members of the church. Maybe something was said to you in the foyer by a Christian. How our hearts break for one another as we suffer these things. How it makes the suffering more intense. Like we sang in Psalm 69. Those I'm a friend and brother, they're the ones hurting me. Many of us know what Joseph was experiencing when his brothers ostracized him, abused him placed him outside their circle because of things that he had done in obedience to God. And if we ever forgot the darkness of our own hearts, if we ever forgot what we have done to offend God and to our neighbor, it's possible that we might actually be surprised that someone could do the same type of thing to us, even in the church. We're humbled. We also face trials that come to us suddenly because of the, the brokenness of this world, the, the fact that everything has fallen into sin. Our bodies are fragile and suddenly out of the blue, we are in a life and death struggle with illness like cancer or ADEM, or serious autoimmune disorders, or breathing problems. We, we never thought it would happen to us, and, and yet here it is. And when we face such trials, we often ask the question, why must I suffer? And when we say that, we're not asking really, why is there suffering in the world? But we are asking, why must I suffer? Family fights, jealousy, slave traders, men left to die in pits, and abuse, they happen all the time. We understand that it's all a result of the fall into sin. But what stumps us is why God sends this to Joseph who seemed to want to do the right thing. If it happened to us, we might ask, why am I in the pit? Why am I on my way to a foreign country? Why must I suffer and not someone else? Now, in itself, the question, why me, is, is not a bad question. And it may even be very fruitful if we remember that we have all sinned terribly against God and he does not owe us anything, much less a suffering free life that he never promised. And if we also remember that although suffering is always unpleasant, in scripture we read it is useful for producing endurance, character, and hope. That's Romans 5, verses 3 to 4. Suffering says the Bible, is not always a bad thing. 
And when we stop thinking about God as a cold enemy who is out to get us with some unjust hardships, and we begin to see him as a father who is training us with trials so that we can serve as an instrument in his plan, then the tone of the question, why me, quickly changes. We can ask, why me, with humility, and yes, even gratefulness. Joseph can say, God, why was I rejected by my brothers and sold into slavery? What are you calling me to? Oh God, what would you have me do in this new situation that's so difficult for me? And again, he could say, God, why have you given me the task and the responsibility of being sent to Egypt in this way? In a similar way, we may say today, God, why did you give me the privilege of being a Christian? Why did you give me your spirit and call me to follow Jesus Christ to whatever end? And then you can ask together with that, why did he put this challenging person in my life? Why did he give me this difficult situation? God, why did you give me or my loved one this injury or disease? What would you have me do? What a blessing it is when the Holy Spirit helps us to face our trials and suffering while trusting and knowing the goodness of God. Even though we may never figure out exactly how our suffering contributes to God's plan and His kingdom. What a blessing it was for the nation of Israel that Joseph did not despair of God's mercy. What a blessing it is that Joseph did not fight against it and, and try to escape the time of suffering by obliterating himself as an instrument in God's hands. What a blessing it is that even though Joseph may not have seen it right away, we are able to see God holding Joseph in his hand through these trials. That's another question we ask is where is God? Why me ask, leads us to ask, where is God? Genesis 37, if you look at it again, you'll see that it does not mention God explicitly. We could get the impression that God has left the church in Jacob's day to figure things out all on its own. We ask the question, doesn't God see the wickedness of the sons of Israel and their jealousy? Doesn't God hear the cries of Joseph from the pit? Where is God the protector when Joseph is getting carried off to Egypt? Did Jacob really need to go down to Sheol, the grave, without any comfort at all? While the shock of seeing your son's robe covered in blood would hit you like a horrific nightmare. You don't even want to imagine what that's like. And the obvious conclusion based on the evidence before his eyes was that Joseph had been torn to pieces. That's what Jacob said. And we don't blame Jacob for quickly reaching this conclusion, for, for tearing his robes, for, 
putting on sackcloth on his loins for mourning. But we do note that since Jacob didn't move past the woe is me statement to ask where is God, he also didn't receive comfort from the assurances that God had already sent him through Joseph's dreams. If Jacob had remembered that God had told him that the whole family would someday be bowing before Joseph, if he had believed in the power of God to do that, he could have been able to see the nearness of his covenant father who was walking with him in these trials. His word was with him in these trials. And just like his father Jacob, also Joseph could know from his dreams that he would not die, but that he would live to the day when his brothers would serve him. If he knew he was going to a foreign land as a slave, he may have even connected that to what God told Abraham, that the, the, the nation would go to a foreign country. God was with Joseph in his word of promise given in his past. And brothers and sisters, as we see that, we recognize that God continues to walk with us in his word, in his promises. And we can carry them around like guarantees of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God was also present with his church in the promise and expectation of complete salvation that he would bring. Jacob and his sons, the church of that day, they lived in the promise that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. God would do it in his way and in his time, but they could know that God was in control. Paul says that God announced the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he told him that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Everyone was looking forward to the Son of God who would come in the line of Judah, the brother vendor, in order that he might bear the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. God was present with his people in the promise of his Savior. Joseph suffered under the brother's sin, but our Lord Jesus would suffer for the brother's sin, for the sins of the whole world. Jacob mourned in his suffering all alone because he forgot the promise of God, but Jesus would come beside him and would suffer with him as a suffering servant so that Jacob and all who believe in Jesus Christ could see the wonderful comfort of a God who cares enough to die for us, a God who knows what it's like to suffer. Where is God when we commit embarrassing sins? That's the question we ask. Hard even to look to heaven. Where is God? The Bible tells you. He sent his only begotten son to be a sin offering for you. Go to him in humility. Your Lord Jesus Christ loved you, his people, so much that even though he knew your sins, 
He could see them as clearly as God could see the brothers in Dothan. He still gave his own life to pay for your sins, to satisfy God's wrath for you. That's the gospel we proclaim. Jacob and his sons, yes, the church of all ages, can turn to the God that they were fighting against and yet find grace and mercy in his amazing self-sacrificial love. We sang that in hymn 38, stanza 2. Where is God when we suffer? He is there beside us and he knows completely how you feel. In fact, our Lord Jesus suffered more than you ever have to because he was an innocent son and you suffer as a guilty sinner. He suffered more because he was paying for the sins of the whole human race under the eternal wrath of God. And you are not paying for your sins when you suffer. You're suffering the consequences of the fall. And no wonder the Holy Spirit urges us, brothers and sisters, in our suffering, in our trials, in our shame, to go to Him. Hebrews 4, verse 16, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Humble yourself before Him. Bow your head in prayer before the living God. He doesn't promise to remove suffering so that we should not expect a comfortable life in any moment before Christ returns and we're still in this fallen life. But God promises that he will walk with us through the suffering. He has given us his word long before he sent us any of his trials. We know his son Jesus Christ as we take the first step into the difficulty. And the only question is then, is where is God in your life? Where do you turn when you face difficult trials? When you recognize who you are? When you do not cover over your sins, when you confess them to the Lord, you will find him there beside you. And the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the servant who suffered to pay for your sins. Brothers and sisters, let us embrace our Lord. The sale of Joseph reveals how much we need Jesus, our suffering Savior. And when you are overwhelmed by sorrow and suffer persecution because you want to walk with the Lord, Jesus, the suffering servant, shows you what it looks like to be an instrument in the hand of God. And so overwhelmed by God's grace and overwhelmed by his, his mercy, the Christian cries out, Why must I suffer in this way? What can I do to serve as an instrument in your hand, O oh, gracious God and Savior. And the answer of Scripture is very clear. The suffering servant says, follow me faithfully today, and you will see. Amen.